on this episode of Net Takeaways. What is Isaiah watching in the marketplace today? And happy birthday to the one and only legendary Mr. Harf. And did you know that Kevin Costner's dating Jewel? I did because of this episode. Welcome to Net Takeaways with Feller and Harf. I'm BJ Feller. And I'm Isaiah Harf. There's a little questioning. My voice sounds a little raspy this morning, not because I'm sick, probably because it's going to be 57 degrees in Chicago in February, and I can't wrap my head around that right now. Well, as you can see, I'm in- You're dressed for it. I'm, I'm, yeah. in, I'm in sweater, leather pants, and you are officially- Athleisure. You are Lululemoned up is what we call that. Athleisure. Oh, yes. Yes. Did, did you have your workout this morning? I did. Yeah. I did. Yes. And do, uh, do they have a locker room at your gym? You know, uh, where I work out, they, they do have a quasi locker room, but it's, it's, it's one of these uh, more so like training gyms, mm. you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on the 20 pack plan right now. The 20 pack. Yeah, where they just keep getting, yeah, they keep getting you. Is this Gangster Kyle that we've heard about in the past? Uh, Are you still training with Gangster Kyle? I do. I trained with Gangster Kyle. I think we can talk about it. He means not listening to the podcast. No, he probably is. He is. Well, oh, if yes. you're listening, Gangster Kyle, yes. feel, feel free to dial into the next episode. He, he likes to expand his knowledge well well beyond just, just, training, uh, just training me and professional athletes. Pretty good roster of clients. It sounds like he's got. Well, it's 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 professional athletes and me. I mean, you're like nobody. A, you're in between, like a professional, right? Athlete. Nobody in between. Well, right? you're not that far from that. So, yeah. basically, it's all professional athletes. But you're looking good. I mean, you've, oh, yeah. you've slimmed down a lot. Oh, I'm svelte. Oh, yes, svelte is an adjective that it's not used often enough. So you get bonus points for using that this morning. Thank you. Usually, it's uh, my uh, you know three to five syllable words where I'm getting the bonus points with you, but svelte. Is that, is that one or two syllables? I can't, I think it's just one. It I sounds like one. Yeah, I feel like most Yiddish words, you know, they just cut That's to the- That's not the, a Yiddish word. It's not? No, well, I mean, maybe it's used in Yiddish. Yeah, it probably but, isn't. Yeah, I don't think it's German. I feel like it's French. Who knows? Now we're officially we making digress. it into etymology in our podcast, which is not where we wanted to go to. We digress. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a crazy week, BJ. Crazy week. What'd you think of Biden's press conference last night? Um, well, you know, we try and stay away from politics on this podcast, but oh, that's right. You know, he was, he was charged up. He, I feel like this was one of these unannounced, um, press conferences where he's like, I'm going out, I'm going out. And the advisors may have said, mm, are you sure Mr. President? And he's like, no, I'm going out there. Yeah. And, you know, it was an interesting dichotomy because he was cleared of all wrongdoing with regards to, or at least not indicted. Um, of the charges in relation to documents that he had in his garage. But then the actual report that said, we're not going to indict the president said some not nice things that were probably more psychology stuff than they were actual legal matters, which was a strange dynamic. 
I always keep really important documents in my garage, don't you? Well, I mean, I think we look back at the last couple presidents and uh, they to, all to like varying degree, they, in like, their to, garage. they yeah. like to keep some souvenirs. I think Trump kept the, the quote unquote love letter from Kim Jong-un with him and uh, that was supposed to go to the National Archives, but Got it. it's an interesting time. Who keeps documents anymore? I feel like everything is like electronic PDF, these Adobe days. PDF. Isn't that what we pay our subscription for? I don't even know how the National Library is still taking in new documents. So. Yeah. Well, today you don't know the topic, so I'm going to spring it on you. And this is one of um, the topics that I really like to do. We've done it a couple times in the past, and that is, what are you watching right now in the marketplace? What uh, what is interesting to you? And that's not like what are you watching on Netflix and Hulu. We could talk right. about what are you watching on Netflix or Hulu. You know, we're not. You don't get into any stream. You don't do streaming, and you don't do movies. Yeah, not really. I mean, I'm a big. Uh, I, you know, I, I, uh, everything has changed since my children have become more engaged in TV. Like I used to say, you know, my children used to watch TV and like, it was all just kind of like mindless stuff that I didn't really want to watch with them. And I would try to get them to watch, you know, sporting events with me and that would never work out. But now they're, they're into it, right? Like we can watch Bulls games. We can watch Blackhawks games. We can watch they like baseball, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously right now it's not, uh, you know, necessarily baseball season, it's getting but, close. but it's getting close. But, but yeah, I mean like they're interested, right? And so point being, I do try to watch like different sporting events. College basketball right now is obviously very big. And I, uh, went to the great Indiana university, uh, home of Bob Knight, rest in peace. And so I, you know, I've tried to introduce them to the candy stripes, and uh, everything that is IU basketball. Um, one thing that you might not know about me is that, and I feel like, you know, that's what our podcast is for, right? It's for you to learn new things about me that I've never talked about before. Exactly. Um, I don't know if you know this, but my best friend in college was a male cheerleader. That's amazing. Yep. And he ended up marrying a girl on the Palm Squad. Makes sense. They're yeah. hanging around each other a lot. And they are still very much in our lives. That's amazing. And uh, you you actually know them well. So no Hulu, no Netflix, no Prime, but male cheerleader friends from IU. We ha- we are learning some new things. Yeah. Yeah. And I had season tickets all four year or yeah, all four years at uh, at IU. That's incredible. I did. I was a big basketball fan. Still am. Well, I'm gonna make a recommendation for those folks who do listen. The prisoner, Steve Carell, incredible series, very dark ending. It's a psychologist who gets um taken prisoner by one of his patients and held in their basement. Really good, really good acting by Steve Carell. And is is like Yellowstone really popular right now? You know, I loved Yellowstone. I watched it when it came out through like Paramount and stuff, and now it's Got made it. its way into like CBS. P- uh, Kevin Costner is. I was going to say, isn't Kevin Costner incredible in that series? Yeah. And I think the whole cast is amazing. Um, yeah. He's been through a few wives. He has been. He just got divorced. Yeah. It was yeah. an ugly divorce. Yeah. Not good. Not good. He's dating somebody, though, pretty famous right now. I think. Is he? He's already back so. in the market. I think so. Speaking yeah. of president, I would vote for Kevin Costner for president. You would vote for Kevin Costner. For I would president. vote for Kevin Costner. I, I would, would vote for Mark Cuban. For I president. would vote. I was just going to say I would vote for <laughs> Mark Cuban. I would vote for Oprah. Anyone who's halfway sane, we need someone halfway sane and someone under the age of seventy. Yeah, we were just saying that uh, that uh, Oprah Oprah was looking pretty good at the Grammys. She was looking good. She uh, maybe she's getting ready to run. Yeah. Oh, she. So Kevin Costner. Don't you think she would win in a landslide if she ran? 
I think so. I mean, I think the only the only person I hate to get political, but I think the only person that can beat Trump, and I think there's two people, and I th- I think they both happen to be African American women, um, but I think it's Michelle Obama and and uh, and Oprah. I think Mark Cuban would win too. You think so? Yeah. I think Gavin Newsom would win. Oh, I don't think so. I think Gavin Newsom no, would, he would win lose. Yes, easily. He would lose. But I also think Nikki Haley, if it was a no, general Trump, election, Trump would, would eat win. Gavin Newsom alive. No way. Yeah. Have, have you seen Gavin uh, Newsom actually Gavin debate? Gavin Newsom's a loser. Have That's you seen? Have do. you seen Trump him actually debate though? No. He's incredible on the debate All stage. Right. He went. Let, let's talk about Kevin Costner though. Kevin Costner is. What's Kevin Costner? Kevin Kevin Costner is dating Jewel. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's who it was. I didn't know that. That's who it was. 90s pop star. Yeah. So what are you watching from a business perspective in the market? What's an interesting story that you uh, that people don't talk about as much, but you're kind of intrigued by? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and I can start if I caught you off, yeah, off guard. No, I mean, I, I was going to really talk more about you know, where, where we are at, you know, in our, in our universe. Right. And some of the things that I'm seeing develop, um, I think that right now cap rates are really rising, um, underneath our nose. And I think that, you know, we're seeing a big push of people to start, you know, sellers are really starting to get restless. They're, they're really wanting to start to, uh, to make deals if they can make deals. And, uh, I, I think that, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's been a time where while we've seen rates kind of calm down a little bit, I don't think that yields are coming down at all. And so, uh, it's been really interesting because I don't know, we've certainly seen our pipeline in our activity really pick up over the last few months. And, uh, you know, definitely at least over the last few weeks, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's been crazy. So, um, to me that just, it just, and I know, I, I know that it means that there are more sellers really starting to meet the market than it is new buyers coming out of the woodwork, but just some of my simple observations. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The market right now is definitely sell side driven. Um, the, there's a lot more supply that can come into the market than buyers who can easily come into the market. Um, I mean, I think that's true of virtually all asset classes. Uh, fundraising for institutional sources actually has been pretty good to start the year. Sculptor just announced a really big, um, I think it was a $750 million vehicle, if I'm not mistaken, in the alternative space. Blackstone has come out with a couple of new vehicles. So that's certainly going to funnel through to various segments in the real estate world. But for me, the biggest story on the bid ask buy sell side of the market this year, certainly Q1, certainly Q2 is really going to be the sell side of the market and how it reacts to a market that's still fundamentally a buyer's market. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's going to happen. That's very interesting. Well, I'm going to tell you this, what I've been watching that we don't talk about quite as much. It doesn't always come up in commercial real estate discussions, but I think it's really interesting. And that's the fact that housing prices have just continued to defy uh, expectations as it relates to higher mortgage costs. Um, The latest Case-Shiller numbers for November of 2023 came out and posted at 312, um, which is the highest Case-Shiller price index that's ever been recorded. For comparison purposes, it was at 211 before the pandemic. Back in 2006, 
it was sitting at, I got to go back to this number, back before the, the Great Recession, it kind of capped out at 184. So we're virtually 80% higher than we were before Bear and Lehman. And have you heard a lot of talk? And I mean, I've heard a lot of this talk, and I wonder if you if you've heard it as well. Where where people are saying, you know, buy now because the minute there are there is any sort of a rate caught, the market's just going to explode again. And there's a ton of people on the sidelines, and blah blah blah. You know, buy now, and and you'll be able to refinance. You know, your your what is it today? Six and a half percent, six and a quarter percent. Well, that was going to be the second half of of my what I'm watching. Um, So if you look at mortgage rates, thirty year mortgage rate, we peaked out at about seven point seven six percent, six percent, yeah. And that was like in November of last year when the ten year went to five percent. There was some fear it could go even higher. We're about a hundred basis points lower down to six sixty. That's still the highest rate that mortgages have been at since call it 2008. So almost 15 years, 16 years back of these rates. So my prognosis, um, who knows how fast rates are going to come in. We've talked about that ad nauseum and too much on other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we know there's there's potential downside in mortgage rates. And for me, what I'm watching is I think the residential housing market in America has 10 to 15% upside in housing prices over the next year to year and a half. I don't think you're wrong. And I think that it's very interesting. I mean, my my take on the whole thing is that everybody believes, one, I don't think housing prices are coming down. I agree with you. I think housing prices are going to continue to stay the same or rise. I think that what is stabilizing is construction costs to build houses and build new homes, which I think is a huge leading indicator you know, for our economy. And maybe said differently, you know, there's this huge speech that a lot of people are giving and saying, listen, the minute we open up the floodgates, the minute rates are in the fives again, right, which which is going to feel like the threes and fours, right? We're just going to see an explosion of home buying. And I I will actually take the uh, the contrarian view. And I will tell you that I think that people who are still locked in between two and three percent, or even say two and three and a half percent, they're not coming off the sideline. They haven't made a tremendous more amount of money over the last few years that is seemingly changing or is going to force them to change their lifestyle. And I don't think there are so many people that ultimately now feel quote unquote trapped in their home, right? Those who felt like maybe they bought something that they were only going to own for five to seven years, and then they were going to, you know, buy another house that maybe uh, fit better with their household, with their, you know, growing household formation. What ultimately is happening is that, is that humans are learning that if we get over the hump of dealing with what we have, it's really not that bad, right? And we live with it. And so I I think that one, there's a scarcity of housing stock, right? And I think that that, as you said, is going to continue to propense the situation of housing prices rising. And I just think, though, that there isn't going to be this huge floodgate, though, of home buyers because those that are locked in at two to three and a half percent, they're not all of a sudden coming off the sideline and saying five and a half feels great. 
I don't think people are going to be opportunistic sellers, even as rates decline. I think a lot of people have decided not to sell over the last 24 months because they have those cheap rates. And that's why when you look at housing houses on the market for sale, I mean, we're still at like a 20-year low right now. Uh, as it stands today, that number is about 714,000 across the U.S. Um, compared to back in 2017, 1.4 million. So we've got about half the total houses on the market um, it's up a little bit from where it was during the worst of the pandemic when it was about 400,000. But when you consider it, seven, 400, 700 is not that much relative to the 1.4. And for me, this is really interesting because back in 2018, 2019, the prognosis was, hey, boomers are going to be getting out of their houses. They're going to be going into condos. Um, and boomers aren't moving quite as much just yet. I mean, it's happening. Don't get me wrong, but it's not being reflected in the houses on market. Yeah. I mean, the average home buyer, and I think I've said this before on other podcast episodes, the average home buyer age right now is 49. And um, I think that people have just, right, they've taken these last two, three years and they've gotten comfortable with their situation, right? Initially, once they started seeing rates rising, they sold themselves on, okay, rates are rising. I can't go anywhere. I'm not going anywhere, right? And now they're at the point, right? Even even if my house is, you know, even, even if we're tight, right? Or even if we don't have enough space for the amount of people we have living in the home and, and it's tight, you know, we can't do anything, right? I mean, rates are just too high and we're locked in too low and, you know, this is what we can afford, right? Now I think people are kind of over that hump and they're just comfortable, right? And that plays, that, that plays frankly, into the senior effect as well, right? People in their 70s and even 80s, right, are saying to themselves, I'm like, I did it for two years, right? I did it for three years, right? Why do we really, ha- like, we stomached it. Why do we really have to do anything over the next five years? And that's just going to create, right, housing prices to rise. So in 2012, the average length of home owner ownership and tenure, owning one asset, was about 9.6 years. Uh, that number had increased in 2020 to 13.6 years. It's down to 12.5, but that's still way above where it was back in 2012. Seven years. And a lot of those dynamics, cheap mortgage rates, people saying, I'll stay two more years, postponing the move down to Boca or the move to um, Tempe, whatever market you want to pick in Arizona. Um, So it's a very interesting dynamic. And for me, this isn't something I watch in a vacuum. It's not like I'm just watching residential because, you know, I'm turning on million dollar listing and uh, deciding to kind of see what's going on with uh, the market. I think it ties back to the commercial market in ways that people don't really appreciate, um, particularly as it relates to multifamily, particularly as it relates to investment into multifamily. So for me, this has some really interesting parallels and correlations with the broader economic landscape. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly very different than... I mean, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. You're 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 my uh, you're my political science guru, but I think it was the Clinton administration that made a big push to to expand home buying, right? And that's what shortened that time frame of how long our expectancy in each house right was. I mean, I think it got down to like six or seven years, and so I I, I think that we're just we're we're at a different point in time now where. Uh, the average American knows and understands rates. Um, what city? And that's that's what, that's different. What city in America do you think has the longest average home ownership, and what city has the shortest? Oh gosh, this uh, is kind of. In, I I don't know if I would have guessed this. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think I take a wild guess. 
that's like it's I don't know. I mean, for home ownership, I don't know. Maybe like Washington D.C. That's a good guess. It's yeah. not right, but that's a good guess. Uh, Washington D.C. isn't on this chart, so I'm not mm. sure. Um, Los Angeles, eighteen and a half years is the average home home ownership tenure out there. Shortest is actually Las Vegas at six point six years. I think that makes a lot of sense. That we makes can all intuitively sense. understand. Um, and I think buying the, a home in Las Vegas always sounds like a good idea. Yeah, the top three on the list are actually all California assets, and I think for a lot of people, it's tough to let go of a property when you know it's been appreciating at a four percent, five percent kegger for the last few decades. Or, or said differently, I think there's a lot of people in Californian homes that otherwise cannot afford what they currently sit in. And I think we also have to remember how California handles real estate taxes, which is incredibly favorable to the homeowner. I think that's probably what's at work at that chart. For those of you who may not know, California is one of the states that resets it. I believe 1% of the um, purchase price is what taxes go to. So that's a big reason not to go buy a new house because your taxes are going to spike. And 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 and, and maybe even more importantly, it's capped on the increase annually. Exactly. I think it's only, I think that your taxes only can only rise a max so I think of, it's like CPI, isn't it? No, it's like capped at like 2%, 2% or it. something like that. Yeah. So it, it, your taxes, right. When you reset the basis relative to value, right. There's people living in $20 million homes or land, you know, sitting on $20 million, you know, land where land is worth $20 million and they're only paying $10,000 a year, $12,000 a year in taxes. So there's a huge, uh, there's a huge push to never have the home leave your family or, ch- or to have a deed trade. Yeah, keep it in your family. Don't let the, the tax man see the reset on the, on the deed price. Correct. What else are you watching in the marketplace? Um, I mean, listen, it's funny. I, I, uh, I think during, as we've talked in other episodes during election years, people tend to not do much because they think things can change, right? And we all, we all know in the transaction volume business that things the uh, administrations even if they do want to change things like cap gains or 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 anything uh, uh bill or law wise it takes months if not years right to get those things passed and that people create a false sense of narrative of of maybe holding out or not wanting to do something uh because of of political administrations um but it's interesting. I'm not really hearing much of that chatter this year. Are you? No, not like yeah. 2016, not like 2020, 2016. I think that narrative really took hold in the marketplace. 2020 to some degree. No one's talking like that this year. Are people getting smarter? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, again, at risk of getting into politics here, I think that you look at people's economic wealth right now as it sits today relative to four years ago. Sure. And with where the stock market is, everyone's massively better off economically. Taxes haven't gone up. That was a big fear back in you know, 2020. There's obviously been things like the alternative tax that's taken place at the corporate level to, to have the minimum tax that these corporations are getting taxed on. But I think um, some of the reason people may not be talking about this, I think people are talking about social issues that they probably have cares about. But I think from the business perspective, I think that people don't necessarily believe there's going to be a wild difference um, in the actual business environment, particularly yeah. when you consider 
how strong uh, unemployment's remained, wage growth, inflation coming in. I don't think people have a lot of looming fears that one choice or the other could make the economic environment horribly worse. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I've learned, I guess, over the last you know four years is that mayors, we have aldermen, right? Uh, you know, really local government has so much more of an impact on our lives right and state you know, and, and and obviously state governments they have so much more of an impact on our lives than than frankly you know who the president is right i mean we we live in a we live in a state that uh that that certainly has struggled with a budget has struggled with uh staying you know staying staying uh, in the black and and it has absolutely nothing to do really with what's going on in the, you know, exterior political landscape. Um, and conversely, right, we see, we see many states that, uh, you know, have a tremendous budget surplus um, and are run fiscally responsibly. And, um, you know, they, they also, their, their constituents living in their state, uh, regardless of how they vote, you know, ha- certainly have that and, and get to, be- you know, and, and benefit from that. So um, I think hopefully, you know, that our, United States population is really realizing that, you know, localized government has so much more of an impact on life and day-to-day life, right? Where you live, you know, the crime that's going on in your area, the lack thereof, right? Has so much more of an impact on, on, you know, what's going on in our world than anything. I think that's a fair point. That's something that has become more clear to folks over the past year um, in all markets. So that's a a really interesting dynamic. Um. Okay, the last thing that I'm watching, and that's the news that Walmart dropped this week, that they're going to be adding 150 new stores, and they're going to be renovating. Um, renovating is not the right word. Is that the word? Refreshing? I think renovating is yeah. the right word. 650 more stores. So Walmart's about 4,500 stores deep in the United States. So between the 150 new and 650 that they're really that's a big announcement that basically somewhere between 15 and 20 percent of their stores are going to look feel and breathe brand new um it's really interesting walmart's knocking on the door of a half a trillion dollar market cap 460 million as we're recording this podcast and interestingly uh, that's up from a number that was something in the neighborhood of $310 billion back in 2020 at the very beginning of the, of the pandemic. Um, so they're up almost $200 billion? They're up $200 billion over the last, more like $150, let's call it $150 billion over the last five years. Yeah, that's huge. To me, that's a staggering number. And, and this just continues to underscore the point. People talk about online retail. I've got my theories about omni-channel and what that's going to look like and how it's going to evolve. I can't spell omni-channel still. (laughs) Walmart has uh, obviously an online presence, but I I haven't seen this. I would speculate that probably only 10% of their sales comes from online. They are as bricks and mortar as it gets. And to see them knocking on the door of a half a trillion dollar market cap to me is... uh, incredible and, yeah, and ta- i mean and, and look at their com- i mean targets you know targets continue to invest in their stores and has continued to prune uh you know their retail locations um but yeah i mean all of these all of these companies have made it easier to purchase online and certainly no one's gonna uh just give you know give in to amazon uh but uh 
but certainly, I mean, they've, they've realized that, you know, their in-store focus, you know, remains the same. Um, it's kind of funny. One of the descendants I know of the Walton family, uh, recently bought a sports team too. Hmm. They bought the Broncos. So that was their foray into NFL ownership. Well, it wasn't, I mean, Stan Kroenke's got the Walmart connections, doesn't he? Yeah, but connections, but he's not, he's, it's not, you know, he, he, he in his role, he, he in his own right, obviously owns, uh, millions upon millions of square feet of real estate mm. separate from, I, I believe he's married to all. I think Walton. so. I think yeah. that's how he got into them, but I can't, can't claim to know the entire family tree of the Waltons. Same. A uh, couple interesting statistics. Walmart actually became this year um, the largest private employer in America. They employ 1.6 million, 95% of the U.S. population within uh, 10 miles of Walmart. So those are just interesting uh, stats. We're, we're shilling for Walmart this morning. Within 10 miles. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I'd be curious to know where uh, where where they rank in terms of hourly pay relative to some of their competitors. I'm going back. Um, you know what's interesting? There's a dark side to the Walmart story, and I think that something like twenty percent. I'll have to look up this actual statistic, but a shockingly high percentage of Walmart's employees actually receive some kind of public subsidy, whether it's housing, whether it's food subsidy, because they're living below the poverty line on the salary that's being paid by Walmart. So, I mean, in many ways, the the government is really subsidizing Walmart's business model, right? Which is um, not dissimilar to SpaceX, not dissimilar to Tesla. Not dissimilar to the airline industry. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I was, I was, I was shocked when I learned uh recently what uh starting flight attendants earn shocked can't be higher than 40 i would think oh no it's not i don't know how they're i mean and, and they do they they live because they're on the road so much they have like share houses or yeah, share I, heard, I heard about that and it's it's the only way that they can afford to live i mean if you are ever on a plane with a first year flight attendant, I promise you they are doing it out of the love of of travel. Uh, of travel and wanting to be able to see the world and fly for free and see their family members in a most cost effective way. They are not doing it for the money. Mm. I promise. Well, this is one of the few podcasts we've ever recorded on a Friday that will come live next week. What are you up to? That What's on tap for the Harf family this weekend? Well, uh, I decided that uh, tonight my family was going to go downtown for dinner. So well, I am taking everybody I, down. And I'm super glad you said this because now I get to publicly shame you or, oh. or acknowledge you and say happy 40th birthday this Thank past you. week. It was Thank a huge you. milestone. Thank you. you yes. a, has it been a good birthday week so far? I know it's going to continue with the dinner tonight. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And, uh, you know, it's always good to, it's always good to hear from people from your, from your past, present and, uh, hopefully future. So, uh, yeah, well, you it's can't hear from people from your future. Yeah. Huh? Okay. Well, no, you hope that people, you know, in your present are in your future. Oh, I guess that's what fair. I mean. I, that makes a but, lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been wonderful. And, uh, I think it's fair to say we're just getting started, BJ. We're just getting started. Isaiah, you're like a fine wine. You get better each and every year. Did you guys decide where you're going to dinner tonight yet? We didn't yet, but we'll figure it out. Well, 
you can tell us on, on the next episode of Net Takeaways. Thank you to everyone listening today, and we uh, look forward to having you back for the next episode. 